You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. You've heard me say this over the last few weeks, and I want you to, to get it. We've got several more weeks in Ephesians, and it's because Paul, it's Paul's emphasis to the church at Ephesus and also the emphasis to us as followers of Jesus is that you are a masterpiece. And as it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, that before time began, God had a plan A, and you were it. That he wanted to call you out by name and call you from death to life. And that whenever he sees you today in Christ, he sees you as a masterpiece that's completed, even though we are not. Even though today many of us, if not all of us, walk into this place and we have a sense of the messiness of our life and the things that we don't have control of. And we, we sit in that and that's a part of life. But that in Christ we are a completed masterpiece. And that the tapestry upon which he does and builds that masterpiece is us. And again, even though we feel like a mess, he sees in us Christ. He's a perfected, completed, one-of-a-kind masterpiece in Christ. God is the artist, and we are the tapestry. As we continue this series in Ephesians, it's written to the city at Ephesus, which is a city much like us, even though it's... 2,000 years ago, the people were much like us because they're humans. And humans, even though we've changed in some ways, we have more technology and we, we think we're better off, we're actually still very much the same, with the same hurts, the same pains, the same regrets. All of those things are still the same. Time is changing and growing and evolving quickly, but we're still a people looking for truth. And the people in Ephesus, it was a large city, the people in Ephesus were looking for truth, and truth never seemed to be found by them, and so much of that is still true for us today. And in all of this seeking, we could see people's values. We all have values, a system of values that influence how we view things, how we interpret things, how we live in our world, and our values come from our core identity, our heart, our chief motivator, our will. That's why we call them core values. They, they move us from here. We see things because of what's in here and what we value in here. Here at Crosspoint, we have core values, things that move us to our heart. The reason that we make decisions and do the things we do is because we have core values that are built upon the core values from Scripture of what a church should be like and how a church should be acting. One of those core values that you've heard us talk about is no perfect people allowed which means that we're a grace-based place. That means that all of us who are sinners get to come to church together. Isn't that encouraging? In other words, if this wasn't a no-perfect-people-allowed place, then this place would be empty because none of us are perfect, except maybe some of your kids are perfect, I've heard. We're also a place that values life-relevant biblical teaching. Because we believe that the gospel is the solution to every problem that we have. In other words, if we apply the gospel truth to the situations of our life, it will solve it. We reap what we sow. If we sow the gospel into our life, then it will reap the rewards of that. We also believe that we are a place where we should come here to gather and anticipate and expect that we experience God together in worship. 
that there's power of presence of God, where the two gather together. There's something magical that happens where the Spirit of God with inside of us agrees together. It's like the Spirit of God says, yes, 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 yes. And we all get to come together and worship together, to sing songs, to open up God's Word and be encouraged by one another and what God has done in the midst of our heart and our soul in the middle of the week. We also believe that life is better in circles than in rows, that as valuable and as important as worship is to do life and community together is just as valuable, that it's important for us to be able to have intimate relationships with other people, that we have two or three people that know us and still love us. But that's one of our most intimate longings of the soul of being a human is to be known by somebody and to still be loved. Because most of us, we do a lot of this, keeping people at guard. We only let people get so far to knowing us. But true, authentic friendship in Christ means we pull back the veil and the curtain of our heart and our soul and mind and say, here is Chris with all of his warts, with all of his stuff. This is in for someone to still love you back because, again, no perfect people allowed and we're going to do life together. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to all have that kind of a friendship with everybody, but we should have a couple of people that we can do life with. We also talk about attending a service and serving a service because the heart of God is to serve. And Christ came to seek and to serve the lost and that that's our goal as well. That we also grow in our generosity, that God's extravagance with us, as we begin to understand how extravagant He is with us, we begin to become extravagant, not with just with our finances, but with our time and with our talents. Because it's not about us anymore, it's about how we can serve and love our neighbor. And then also we talk about getting a passport. That even if you never leave the United States, that we want you to have a passport because it reminds you that you're to be living a life on mission. That if the furthest place that you go to share the gospel is across the street to tell your neighbor that you take your passport with you. Because we're to be missional beings that are gospel-centric. You and I have core values that we make our daily decisions from, from our core. So what you value, or better yet, what you treasure, matters. That's why this pastor that you're looking at is wearing a jacket. You're like, what in the world? Two weeks in a row, Pastor Chris wore a jacket. Well, I'm wearing it again because you said I look good, so I'm going to do it. Don't tell me to wear a tie because that ain't happening. And then I have this wonderful treasure box. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later. But for you this morning, I want you to understand that the thing that we should value and treasure the most, that should be core to us as followers of Jesus, is that we should treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's our center this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 here in just a second. We're going to be thinking about this idea of treasure. So I want you to think a little bit about what you do treasure. If you treasure your health, you spend some time working out, you consider your food choices, and even more and more we're learning that you consider how you sleep or don't sleep. That sleep is maybe the magical pill that we've been missing for so many years. If you treasure your finances, you keep track of what you're spending. Maybe you save, maybe you work a little bit at being debt-free or becoming debt-free, or maybe you shop till you drop until you hear the great theologian door, the explorer, say, Swiper, no more swiping. I can tell how old you are by the laughter. Your treasure, your family. So you spend time with your kids, you spend time with your spouse, 
you have a family meal, you do things out of the core values because that's what you treasure, that's what matters to you. As a Jesus follower, our greatest treasure is the gospel of Christ, or it should be. The gospel of Christ is our greatest treasure. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. You ready? One race, humanity, with one problem, sin, with one solution, Jesus, with one hope, the work and death and resurrection of Jesus. We are to be gospel-centric people. Defined by the gospel. That's our center. That's our core identity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we solve our problems by applying the gospel of Jesus Christ to our life. The gospel is not just about getting to heaven. It's about life now, today. Because let's be honest. Sometimes life can be pretty crappy. Heaven is not going to be. And so the gospel applied to today matters because that is the solution to our stuff today. The gospel matters today. It's about salvation. It's about discipleship. It's about heaven. But why would we want the gospel in the future if we don't want it now? Why would we want the gospel in the future if we don't want it and use it now? You've been given a gift in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we talked about recently, sometimes, maybe too many times, we leave that gift under the tree and are just happy with the gift and never experience the fullness of it. This morning, that's what Paul wants us to do, is to open up the gift of Christ, the gospel of salvation, and begin to apply what we have in the gospel of Christ to our lives. So if you have your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, is what we're going to read today. And it says this, when I think of all this, now Paul is much like your pastor, he's ADD, he has squirrels in his brain, and so he goes different places sometimes. Because when he says something, it reminds him of something else. And so this is Paul in this moment, Ephesians chapter 3, he says, when I think of all this, he's about to pray, okay? And so we actually see his prayer next week in verse 14. And so when he says, when I think of all this, he's reminded of everything he's just talked to them about in Ephesians 1 and 2. So he kind of gives them a synopsis or a summary of chapter 1 and 2. And so that's where we're going to go. And he talks about, hey, this is the thing that you should treasure. Count the cost of the gospel because it's going to cost you something. Are you ready to make the investment into the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life? Because if you are, it's going to cost you. So before I pray, I want you to remind you of everything that I've talked about. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus... So here's the first time that we understand in Ephesians that he is talking to the church in Ephesus. He's been to Ephesus, but he's currently in Rome in prison under house arrest. And so this is a Pauline epistle while he's in prison. So he's writing to the church at Ephesus to remind them of where they've come from, to encourage them while he's in prison. So he's suffering for the gospel. He's counted the cost for the Gentiles to hear the gospel. And he says they are worth going to prison to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. What hardship are we willing to go through for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul says it's worth for him to go to prison. It's for the benefit of you Gentiles. Verse 2, assuming 
by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you as Gentiles. So he's reminding them of his calling. One, he was called to salvation. We know if you've been around church or been to VBS or Sunday school at some point, you've heard the story of how Saul became Paul along the road to Damascus. That Saul, this guy, was a well-studied. He was he went to the Harvard of Harvard's of seminary for Jewish students. He studied under the professor Gamaliel. And Gamaliel said, hey, Paul was the top student. He was magna cum laude, cum laude, cum laude, whatever the he had all the cords, he had all the certificates, he had everything. He was going to be the next Gamaliel. Like they were waiting for Saul to be that guy. And along the way, on the road to Damascus, Jesus encountered him and he had a conversion experience. This is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus showed up to Saul and Saul became Paul in his conversion. And so he's reminding them of that, but he's also reminding them that of his specific call to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Because you think about it, if there was ever someone who was qualified to bring the gospel to the Jews, it was Paul. Because he was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like he knew all the rules, all the regulations, the stuff that you had to memorize. He would have known the Torah from Genesis 1 to the maps by memory. Okay, let's practice that next week. You come and you just have a couple of verses. He had it in his mind. Okay, so here's this guy with this. And so he's called and he's called not just to salvation, but he's reminding them of his call to ministry to share the gospel with the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Why? Because because of who Paul was, it validates God's plan A to the Gentiles. There was not a better person alive than the person of Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles because of Paul's Jewishness. Does that make sense? So he's reminding them of that, the special responsibility of his ability and opportunity to extend grace to the Gentiles. Verse 3, as I briefly briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. In other words, from Genesis 1 to right before the New Testament, there was this unveiling of what's called progressive revelation, that God progressively revealed more and more and more of Himself until the perfect time came in all of history for God to drop Himself in the person of Jesus Christ into history so that the gospel could spread. That God revealed himself bit by bit by bit so that mankind could grasp it in the finiteness of our mind, the finiteness of our heart and our spirit. At that perfect time, the soil could be tilled just right so that when Jesus plopped down in history, we were at least a little receptive. That God would step down into human history and bring salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. At that moment, God pulled back the curtain of history and his plan A to show that salvation would come to Jews and Gentiles through the person and work, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mystery revealed. Verse 6, and this is God's plan, plan A. There's not a backup plan. There's not a, a B, a C, a D, a Z. God's going to work his plan, plan A accordingly. And here's his plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Let's stop. 
Jewish people hearing this would have considered this heresy. Because for all of their time, all of their theology, everything that they have been taught is you are the chosen people. Salvation comes through you, exclusively through you. Everybody should almost bow down at you because you have rights and privileges to Yahweh that no one else has. And so here Paul, the Jew of Jews, is reframing salvation. It's like those moments when the Pharisees and the Sadducees grabbed rocks and wanted to throw them at Jesus. I imagine the people in the room were like, what in the world is Paul talking about? Both Jew and Gentile are of the same body. How can the clean and unclean become one? Right? In their mind, unclean Gentiles, we're clean. How can these two become one? Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings. Why? Because they belong in Christ Jesus. That's why the footing of the cross is equal ground for all of us are sinners No perfect people allowed. One body. Verse 7. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Verse 8. It's a very encouraging verse to me, at least. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people. (laughs) Though I am the least deserving of all God's... Wait, 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 wait. Paul? The student of students, the, the best student of God's word, the guy who knows all the Torah forward and backward, he's the least deserving. See, this is one of the lies that our enemy Satan tells us. You've had these moments yourself. Whenever someone, you've been in your spirit, you've been challenged to maybe smile at someone, maybe talk with someone or have a spiritual conversation with someone in your spirit. You know that you should do it, but you say no. And the reason you say no is because... You believe this, I'm the least deserving, or I don't know enough about the Bible, or what if they ask me a question I don't have an answer to, or what if, and that's this, come to life with inside of us. So that's encouragement, that if Paul struggled with this, surely regular folk from LaGrange, Texas, are going to struggle with this. But Paul was obedient. And the same call that Paul had to be obedient to share the gospel is the same call that you and I have. Because we see the world and we see our neighbors different. We're gospel-centric. We treasure the gospel. Therefore, it's worth the cost. Therefore, it's worth the hardship. Therefore, it's worth it. Even though we feel like we're the least deserving. Even though we feel like the truth is, in Christ, God will do what he wants to do in our obedience. The second part of that, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. (laughs) That's us. God's purpose from the beginning of time was to call you out by name in Christ and to bring us together as a church, Crosspoint Community Church, to make a difference in the world. I don't know if the church has ever been more divided than it is today. I live in this unexciting world where there's other pastors. You can imagine when pastors get together, it's pretty boring. 
<laughs> it really is. It's bad. I think that's why they invite me, because they know I'm going to do something that will stir the pot or say something. I don't even wear jackets. It's crazy. Wear my shirt untucked and everything. But pastors, more and more on Twitter and all these different things, what I'm seeing is hurts my heart. It should hurt your heart. Pray for pastors. Pray for the church. Because in America, we are uber divided over minor things. And so when the church, and especially church leaders, are fighting with each other over foolishness, we can't be focused on the cross. We cannot be treasuring the gospel. We're treasuring our own platform. Is my church bigger than your church? Is my book? Whatever it is, it's stupid stuff that divides us from the cross. And so for us, (laughs) leaders... Pastors, elders, deacons, followers of Jesus, God's purpose from the beginning of time was to call you out by name and to place you today, February 26th at 11.47 a.m. in this place as a part of his plan of your being a masterpiece in progress. But even a church... In LaGrange, Texas, with us that feel like we're the least deserving of all God's people, he can do great and mighty things. My prayer since I've been here in LaGrange, Texas, now six years. Crazy how time flies. Is that this area, instead of being known as the best little place in town, Texas, is known as the place where God broke out. Because people got plans A, God's plan A, and said, I may feel like the most least deserving person in all of the world, but God's called me, and He don't make junk, He don't make mistakes. I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna endure the hardships for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I wanna be a part of a body that wants to be doing something for the cross of Christ, and we will not settle just cause we're in LaGrange, Texas, in Fayette County, and we're the best little place. We will reframe who we are by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God's purpose was to use a church just like this to display His wisdom in its rich variety that we're, that we're Baptocostal, that we're Methodocostal, we're Lutheranocostal, we're whatever we are, but all these different things have nothing to do with anything except that we gather around the person and work of Christ. I didn't get this excited in the first hour, y'all aren't. We had three services, who knew? Because this is his internal plan. Not a mistake, not a coincidence. And he carried it out through the work and person of Christ Jesus our Lord. That's his plan A. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. The King of Kings, the creator of the universe, is also your dad. And part of your inheritance is... You get to walk into the king's presence. And not just as he's your king and he's your ruler, who has everything at his disposal, but he's also your dad. And he says, hey, come sit and share with me your needs, your wants, your pains, your hurts, your regrets. The gospel is not just about the future, it's about now. So, 
If the gospel is our greatest treasure, what are the hardships that you're willing to endure? Do we value the gospel enough to endure? A couple of things I want you to get. If the gospel is our greatest treasure, then it requires us to act in love. Christianity is not a religion of works, but it is a religion of action, right? Motivated by love. That's our core value because that's who God is. Agape, God-type love, is an active love that has power associated with it. God-type love has a dynamic, dynamite-type power. The word is dynamite kind of power that God has. So God acted and loved and gifted us the gospel, and the gift of the gospel dynamited our world. Before the gospel, our greatest treasure was ourself. Me, myself, and I always. Me, myself, and I. But through God's grace, when we receive the gospel, he threw his powerful love upon it, and he blew up my treasure room. And my treasure room of myself, me, myself, and I, is upside down. Your personal treasure room has been dynamited by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel dynamites your ego, and but by God's grace, we can live life in confidence, in confidence of who God is and the work that he's done in and through us. Therefore, as we live God's gospel truths of one race with one problem with one solution with one hope we also understand that the gospel requires us to live in unity this is a part of god's plan in the church one of the things he's wanted to one of the reasons he wants to use the church and the church can be useful in our community is because we are a community in unity that's unified around the one thing that matters and that's the person and work of jesus christ We can live in unity. Catch this. He didn't want to hear that. We can live in unity because we're not in competition with one another. Because our daddy gives equal affection to all of us. We're not pining for rewards from him or attention from him or better gifts from him because we all have equal access. We can be unified because our dad loves us equally and shares it equally and gives equally. The deal is, do we ask? That's the only disparity. But too many times we're like finding Nemo and we're like the seagull screaming, mine, 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 mine. And that's how the church gets divided. I want this. I want that. How come they don't sing this song? Or how come he, you know, unity is at the heart of Christianity. And that attitude that we have toward one another is foundational. You think about it, a church is compared to a building, and it's built brick by brick upon a foundation. And if for some reason, can you imagine a brick telling the bricklayer, no, I'm not going there. I don't want to be next. Have you seen that brick? I don't want to be next to that brick. That's a red brick. Ooh, man, I'm a white brick. I want to be over here. I'm a yellow brick or whatever. But that's ludicrous as it sounds. That's what we do. The church is compared to a body whose head, mind, vision, and the systems require that they all act together. Can you imagine a foot saying through the mind, nope, you're not going to put pressure on my metatarsals again. Talk to the hand. He's got phalanges. So now the body is walking on it. I mean, you see the ludicrousness of that? I mean, the church is compared to a family. Can you imagine a father, a mother, and siblings living in harmony? It happens every once in a while, I've heard. 
But can you imagine a child saying to parental figure, no, you're not going to make me do that? (laughs) You can because you've seen it or experienced it, and that is also the church. But it's like us saying to our parents, you do not care about me. You only care about yourself. Yeah, I know you provide me food, clothing, shelter, and Nintendo switches or whatever I need, but you only have your best interests at heart, not mine. That's the ludicrousness of how we interact with God and one another sometimes. And our attitude toward one another should be unity in the midst of our diversity. And so that therefore there's a byproduct of unity because of the gospel. That the only thing at times that unifies us is the work and person of Jesus Christ. It's not our education. It's not where we came from. It's not even where we're going, but it's the person and work of Christ. The only thing that in the midst of our diversity that we can have unity is because of Christ. And so that the world can look at us and say, wow, if they can unify around that, the power of the gospel has got to be something. So if the gospel is our greatest treasure, then it requires us then to live an authentic community. One race with one problem, with one solution, with one hope. In Ephesians 2.14, it says, Christ brought peace when he united Jews and Gentiles into one. When in his own body, he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. Back in the day, there was this thing called wrestling. Y'all remember professional wrestling? I know it's still around, but I don't watch it anymore. Or if I do, it's by accident. But back in the day, there was this thing in wrestling called No Holds Barred. And that was a wrestling match that was free from any restrictions. The church, too many times, looks like a pro wrestling match with No Holds Barred, where there's nothing that disqualifies us as you seek to win the match. That we're in fighting. When the church should be No Holds Barred and living authentically with one another. Experiencing God, encouraging one another, equipping one another, empowering one another, engaging one another. Think about this. In a day like today, this is our current times, when the church is seen as increasingly viewed as irrelevant, trivial, and ineffective. There's even a recent survey by Barna that says that 80% of our neighbors believe that they can be dynamic Christians without ever attending a church service. But if the gospel is our treasure, we have to gather together. If nothing else, to be unified around the person and work of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and following, the, the gospel is treasured and we see what happens. It says, those who believed what Peter said, Peter had just preached the first gospel sermon. And so those who believed what Peter said about the gospel and about Jesus were baptized and added to the church that day. There were over 3,000 men added and all the believers, and there were men, women, and children, but all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and worship and to fellowship. They gathered in community and to sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. There was a deep sense of awe that came over them and all the apostles. And they performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in fellowship in one place and shared everything they had for one another. They sold their property and their possessions 
They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and at the homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. So they gathered together, cared about each other, loved on each other, did community in the midst of diverse backgrounds. And look at the next part. Because of how they did community together, they enjoyed the goodwill of all people. And then what happened? Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Each day, even on a Tuesday, people were saying yes to Jesus. Because of the way that the community of believers were gathering together and supporting each other and encouraging each other and equipping each other and doing life together. And they said, listen, that type of community, that is what I want. That is what I need. That gospel thing has got to be true if it's changing people like that. So that even on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, lives are being changed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is our greatest treasure. So this morning, in just a moment, the worship team is going to come up. And we have response stations. So we have the cross on the back. You can put a note on the back. We have the um, candles in the back. You can light a candle, pray for someone, pray for yourself. There's the communion over here. There's the altar up here to pray. But today, I know we don't do this very often, but today I've got my treasure box. And in my treasure box are handmade wooden crosses. To remind you of the treasure that you have in Christ. There's a little hole in it so you can put a, make it a necklace or make it a chain or do whatever. Hang it somewhere, put it somewhere just to remind you. Maybe you need a week or a couple of weeks or maybe you need to put it someplace that every time you see it, you're reminded that today, as I start my day, the gospel is the greatest treasure that I have. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the greatest gift that's ever been given in the person of Christ. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his work. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. And thank you because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Through him, we can have a relationship with the creator of the universe. That we can join you in your plan A. That you thought of and knew before creation and time began and you've called us by name and that today even in our messiness this tapestry of our lives is a masterpiece in progress because of who we are in Christ thank you for the gospel thank you for the good news of Jesus It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.